Please remain standing and pray with me. Holy Spirit of God, come now and anoint the preaching of your word. Lord, unless you do this, there's no power. There's no, there's no life-giving in this message unless the Spirit of God moves upon it. So I come as the preacher of your word, totally dependent upon you, Lord, from the scriptures and from your spirit. And as your gathered body this morning, we come as totally dependent people because the Spirit of God alone can open to our hearts and minds the truth of your word. We can't do this by mere human understanding. So come, Holy Spirit, do your work among us now. We receive you, Lord, to be the, the bringer of truth, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today is the first Sunday after Easter. Traditionally, uh, this is called Low Sunday. I'm not sure why. Uh, sometimes I think it's because it's Low Attendance Sunday or something like that. But you showed up anyway, so there. You know, it's not. Hey, I want you all to do something for me if you don't mind. I want you all, uh, if you don't mind, stop picking on my man Thomas. Just, just stop it, because I love that guy. Stop calling him Doubting Thomas like he was somehow different from all the other doubting men and women disciples that followed Jesus. They all doubted. Thomas just kind of arrived late to the party. Uh, I don't think that Thomas really is so much of a doubter, but a skeptic, a realist. You know, back in, earlier in John's Gospel, Jesus is saying, um, let's go back to Jerusalem and all the disciples are telling Jesus, well, they were just trying to kill you there the other day. And he said, no, I've got to go to Jerusalem. And Thomas says this, I love this. Well, let us go with him that we may die also. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just, I, he's a realist, and I like that about Thomas. In fact, I want to suggest to you that his innate skepticism and dogged realism are not qualities to be rejected out of hand by Christians, but in their proper place, they're qualities that we can celebrate. Thomas's doubt and skepticism are qualities that we can celebrate. You're probably not going to hear that anywhere else this morning. Ooh, our preacher said to doubt. Praise God. No. no. You see, the gospel lesson this morning is actually the literary climax of the gospel of John. And all through this gospel, John has been making some oblique statements, some sort of sideways statements that are really quite outrageous. They're wonderful claims about Jesus that are finally said openly, not by Peter or by James or by John, but by Thomas. In light of that, the scripture reveals to us this morning that, and here's the phrase I want you to keep with you, honest doubt. Honest doubt, not dishonest doubt, but honest doubt can be a positive and constructive force in the life of a Christian or the person who is struggling to become a Christian. Honest doubt is simply this. It is simply the passionate search for what is true and what is real. Honest doubt is the passionate search for what is true and what is real. And many great Christian leaders and thinkers have struggled with doubt, and it has made their, their faith even stronger. These are people we would look up to. William Lloyd Phelps, in his autobiography, writes, My religious faith remains in possession of the field only after prolonged civil war with my naturally skeptical mind. 
my religious faith remains in possession of the field only after prolonged civil war with my skeptical mind. The Scottish reformer John Knox, who I said in this early service, I said he's well known for his sense of humor. Nobody got that joke. He's not. <laughs> but uh, John Knox wrote of a time when his soul knew anger, wrath, and indignation, which is conceived against God, calling all his promises in doubt. Increase Mather, if you are a a historian of the 17th century and, and, uh, and Puritanism and things like that. That is a, a name you would be familiar with. Increase Mather, one of the great Puritan leaders. I love that, you know, Puritans gave their kids names like Increase and Cotton. I mean, what were they thinking? Cotton Mather, all right. But Increase Mather, it said this, and in his journal he wrote, greatly molested with temptations to atheism. Greatly molested with temptations to atheism. And you know, we sing Martin Luther's great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, Ein Festeburg ist unser Gott. And we suppose that he never questioned his faith. But he once wrote, For more than a week Christ was wholly lost. I was shaken by desperation and blasphemy against God. And these are the great heroes of the faith. You see, people who care passionately about truth, who care deeply about investing their lives in what is real, are naturally going to be doubters. They're going to test and examine truth claims that come their way. They recognize, listen, life is too precious to waste it on a fantasy. Life is too precious to waste it on a fantasy. Life is too precious for it to be devoted to falsehood. We need some holy skepticism. Madeline Lingle, the great uh, writer, recently passed away with the last 10 years, said those who believe, they believe in God. Those who believe, they believe in God. But without passion in the heart, without anguish of mind, without uncertainty, without doubt, and even at times without despair, believe only in the idea of God and not in God himself. Now, I want you all to know that I am naturally skeptical. That is my natural bent. Because, like I said, I do not want to live my life based on fantasy. Fantasy is escape for me. I like to go and take a little mental vacation to Narnia or Middle Earth or science fiction. But I don't want to live there. It's a great place to visit, but I don't want to live there. I want to live in the real world. But let me tell you something, I have examined the claims of Jesus Christ and I've examined the truth claims of other religions and philosophies and Jesus Christ as revealed in God's word and in the orthodox Christian teaching handed down over 2,000 years is the only person who answers life's deepest questions. Biblical Christianity uniquely, uniquely is supported by history, by the science of archaeology, and by a coherent and reasonable worldview. And I would not have had the confidence and strength of my conviction today if I had not been on a journey that did include times of honest doubt. The strength of my conviction today is directly re related to, linked to, my times of struggling with doubt. And there are benefits for honest doubt. First of all, honest doubt does this. Are you ready? It keeps us from falling into error. Honest doubt keeps us 
from falling into error. A little doubt, a little skepticism is much needed in Christian circles today. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. Being gullible is not a Christian virtue. It's not listed by Paul as a spiritual gift. Credulity is not a spiritual gift. By the way, did you know the word gullible is not in the Bible anywhere? Not in the dictionary either. No, you're just not being gullible. You're being gullible. No. No. And I want you, you need to know this. This is especially important. This is especially important when we deal with so-called Christian teachers and Christian ministries. We need to bring a little holy skepticism. Please hear me. And I could name names uh, of people who are out there. But just because someone has a popular blog or has written a book does not mean that she or he is qualified to have teaching authority in God's church. Just because they wrote a popular book or because a lot of your friends read their blog does not mean that they have authority to be a teacher in God's church. The Bible clearly tells us to be skeptical about the teaching we receive until we have tested the source of that teaching against God's infallible word and the apostolic tradition. God's word and the teaching of the apostles. Does it stand up in the light of God's word? Does it stand up in the light of Holy Scripture? Uh, little book, 2 John says this. This is 2 John, verses 7 through 11. Many deceivers, listen to what he's warning that early church about. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Now let me stop right here and give you a little explanation of what he's talking about and how this applies to us today. Are you ready? Back in John's day, there was a group of people who were running around teaching that Jesus only seemed to be flesh and blood. He was really just kind of a spirit being, you know, sort of like, you know, when Yoda comes back from the force, you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen, you don't know. You know, he's like, you know, it's like Yoda just showed up again in Star Wars. I thought he's been dead forever, but there he is. But he just seems to be physical, you know. And that was, I, I, that did connect with somebody good. Uh, so it's that Jesus did, was not really a flesh and blood person because that's, that's what the Bible teaches. He was a flesh and blood person. He just seemed, that's what docetism means. He just seemed to be a flesh and blood person. He's just a spirit being, really. Now, here's what I think the connection with our life today is. Docetism and Gnosticism, those are words you don't need to know, but those heresies are still out here. But here's the big heresy that most of us deal with that directly relates to this passage of Scripture. Here's, here, here it is. People today have a hard time dealing with the real flesh and blood Jesus as revealed in Scripture and instead prefer a, a made-up imaginary Jesus in their mind that's kind of like a little Play-Doh Jesus. And I can move him around to be what I want him to be and say what I want him to say. You know people are dealing with that little imaginary Jesus when they say things like this. Well, my Jesus? What do you mean your Jesus? Oh, yeah, the one I made up in my head. My Jesus would never condemn that. 
Oh, my Jesus would never do that. My Je- yeah, that's your Jesus. That's the not flesh and blood imaginary Jesus. This is what John says about that. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ, not your imaginary Jesus, but what he taught, does not have God. What do you mean? Does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 and 16, Jesus says this, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Again, we're warned in 1 John 4, 1, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Oh, he had a word of prophecy. Well, wait wait a second here. I'm not going to believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Oh, you're going to put that to the test? You just don't have any faith. No, I'm just obeying God's word. Test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. First Thess- Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21. Do not put out the spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Two or three prophets, 1 Corinthians 12, 29. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. Many of us in the church today are far too quick, far too credulous, far too gullible in order that we believe what we read on the internet because it just confirms our own opinions. Oh, well, Father Ben, you're just not spiritual enough. If you had the Holy Ghost, you'd believe that person. Well, let me tell you what. Father Ben is going to take the solvent of the Word of God and apply it to that truth claim, and if anything's left over, I'll believe it. Show me in the word of God. That's right. I want to see it in the word of God. Good old hard-headed Scottish people. Oh, we were at the service and the Holy Spirit manifested himself as glitter. (laughs) Honest doubt keeps our faith alive and active and stimulated It keeps us from stagnating. I love what Frederick Buechner says in his book, Wishful Thinking. Whether your faith is that there is a God or that there is not a God, if you don't have any doubts, you are either kidding yourself or asleep. Doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. I said in the first service, I don't think he even knows about fire ants. Doubts are the fire ants. And my, my dad was uh, in Charleston standing in, uh, I don't know if it was St. Michael's or one of the other old Episcopal churches, and he was standing in the pulpit. And somehow, when he was out in the yard in Charleston, you know, that's some good fire ant country. Good fire ant country. And he had been standing over a fire ant hill. And he got into the church, and he had a picture taken of him standing in the pulpit. And about that time, the fire ants began to, uh, to make their presence known to my dad. He came out of his pants in that church. <laughs> it really happened. They will keep you alive and moving. And it turns out that if doubt is the quality of an open and active mind, Christians are more open-minded than atheists. George Yancey, who's professor of sociology at the University of North Texas, he just published some research. He said, my team and I interviewed several dozen atheists. 
One question we asked was whether they ever had any doubts regarding their atheism. We found out that about two-thirds of them, 65.2%, never had any doubts about it. Doubts indicate times when a person considers whether he or she may be wrong. So it appears that one common feature of atheism is an unwillingness to consider the possibility one may be wrong. Oddly enough, it's Christians who seem to have a reputation for never doubting. I say oddly because only half as many Christians, 35%, say they never have doubts. So most importantly, honest doubt can ultimately lead to great, deep, more mature faith. Remember that I told you that this gospel lesson was the climax of John's entire testimony about Jesus. In the face of the resurrected Jesus, the doubter makes the most astounding claim about Christ than any disciple had ever made. Thomas said to him, "My," he said to Jesus, fell down at his feet, my Lord and my God. This is the very first overt declaration of Christ's divinity by any disciple, and it was made by the one we call the doubter. Now, dishonest doubt, on the other hand, is destructive. Dishonest doubt is really a disguise or a smokescreen people use to keep from having to accept the truth about the risen Christ. At the heart of dishonest doubt is really some other motivation than the search for the truth. In fact, dishonest doubt is a means of avoiding truth. Honest doubt is the quest to discern what is true and real. Dishonest doubt is a way of keeping God at arm's length. Former atheist-turned-Christian author Lee Strobel perfectly describes the character of dishonest doubt. <clears throat> he writes, At first I had heartfelt and thoughtful objections to the Christian faith, but over time, after I began finding adequate answers to those issues, I started to bring up new and increasingly marginal challenges. He continues, Doubt may actually be a subtle defense mechanism. They may think they're hung up over an objection to some part of Christianity when the reality is that they're actually just casting around for some excuse, any excuse, not to take Jesus more seriously. Sometimes people may not even be aware of it, but their doubts really have nothing to do with intellectual or factual objections to faith in Jesus Christ. There's some other motivation. We may be motivated by a deep hurt that we have gone through uh, under, under the influence of persons who claim to be religious. A while back, I heard of one woman who struggled with faith in Christ because her mother and father, who were deeply religious, would make her kneel and pray at her bedside while they beat her for her childhood infractions. Her doubt was based on a deep hurt by someone who represented God to her. But I think perhaps most often, dishonest doubt is a way of masking the fact that we don't want the God of the Bible to be real and true, because if God, as revealed in Scripture, is real and true, then we now are beholden to change our lives to match this reality or to reject him outright, even though we know it's the truth. British author, skeptor, philosopher Aldous Huxley wrote 
towards the beginning of the 20th century in his essay, one of his essays in his book, Ends and Means, he said, I had motives for not wanting the world to have a meaning and consequently assumed that it had none and was able without any difficulty to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. The philosopher who finds no meaning in the world is not concerned exclusively with a problem with a problem in pure metaphysics. He is also concerned to prove that there is no valid reason. Why, listen, he is also concerned to prove why there is no valid reason why he personally should not do what he wants to do. For myself, as no doubt for most of my friends, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation from a certain system of morality. We, obje we objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. The supporters of this system claimed that it embodied the meaning, the Christian meaning, they insisted, of the world. There was one admirably simple method of confuting these people and justifying ourselves in our erotic revolt that we would, de we would deny that the world had any meaning whatsoever. Brothers and sisters, in recent years, um, and this is not, not the case for everyone who doubts, but I'm going to tell you, for many people who do, in recent years I have found that the organ of doubt is often directly connected to people's genitalia. The organ of doubt is directly connected to our genitalia. In other words, for instance, that the present, the number one driver, and I'm not the, I'm not, this has not just been, this is research, the number one driver distancing many millennials from following Jesus Christ is how Jesus defines the purpose and form of human sexuality. Either because of someone they care about, their life does not match that, that form, and that purpose of sexuality is defined by Jesus Christ because they themselves do not want to live under his lordship in that area. That tends to be the number one driver of doubt. Now, there is a time to stop doubting and believe. Listen again to Jesus' encounter with Thomas. A week, after, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Now, that seems kind of odd, doesn't it? Jesus commands, he commands Thomas to stop doubting. It's as if a decision, it's as if, if it is a decision that Thomas has to make, as if it is an act of the will. The reason that it seems that way is because it is. Because ultimately, once you have encountered the risen Christ and seen him clearly portrayed as crucified, resurrected, and victorious, we have a decision to make. We have to decide whether to trust this Jesus or to deny this Jesus. It has to do with our will. Stop doubting and believe. So this morning, let me say, if you do, do you have any doubts? Do you have any doubts about the claims of Jesus Christ? Then by all means, honestly search for the truth. Go to the best honest scholars, honest scholars, who don't have an axe to grind 
or a motivation to keep the real Jesus at arm's length. Search the historical records. Examine the facts of the case. And after you do, you will come to realize that Jesus Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. And that He is alive today and that He is still transforming lives. But I want to challenge you to do something else. What I want to challenge you to do today is that if you are a skeptic about the truth of Jesus as revealed in God's Word, listen, I want you to doubt your doubt. I want you to doubt your doubt. Take a hard look at your doubt and ask yourself this. I want you to be an honest doubter. Am I motivated by real objections to the Christian faith or am I using my doubt as camouflage for my real motivations? Am I doubting because I don't want to make the commitment that faith in Christ requires? Am I doubting because I'm afraid to turn over control of my life to Jesus? Am I doubting because someone in authority, someone who represented God in my life, wounded me? Am I doubting because I'm mad at God for allowing my life to be filled with pain and disappointment? Am I doubting because I love my sin and I'm enjoying it way too much to follow Jesus right now? Am I doubting because I'm afraid that I will just fail if I try to follow Jesus Christ? Am I I doubting because I'm afraid that I will reach out in faith to God and have my worst fear confirmed that there really is not a loving God out there at all and that I am utterly alone in the universe? And am I doubting because if I have to admit that Jesus is true and that the Bible is true, that means there's a lot in my life I'm going to have to go back and say, and I've seen this, I was wrong. Am I afraid to stop doubting because to do so would be to admit I was wrong? It's like the woman who died and was buried and her (laughs) just could not be wrong and her tombstone said, See, I told you I was sick. Is being right important enough for you to lose your soul over? Let me tell you some good news. If you will risk taking the chance and offering yourself and trusting faith to Jesus Christ, you will immediately begin to see that faith, that faith validated as he comes into your life and begins the process of transforming your existence. The joy of finally receiving this risen Savior is such that in his presence, you too, with Thomas, will fall on your knees and worship and exclaim, My Lord and my God. Stop doubting and believe. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This time I want to invite you to with me.